One Week Season. NFL Edge Audio. Saints at Falcons. Kickoff Sunday, September 11th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 42. Game Overview by Hilo. Primary pieces from the Saints' pass offense are fundamentally underpriced. Saints are highly likely to control the tempo and flow of this one. Kyle Pitts could emerge as the tight end with the highest ownership on the slate, but there are reasons to consider a leverage fade if that ownership gets out of hand. The Saints are likely to score points here, but there isn't one specific avenue for those points to flow through, meaning ownership is likely to remain relatively low. How New Orleans will try to win After a season that saw the Saints establish the run, second highest overall rush rate and second highest rush rate when playing from behind, primarily due to injuries to Jameis Winston and a pass-catching core consisting of Marquez Calloway, Deontay Harris, Traquan Smith, Kenny Stills, and Ty Montgomery, all of whom are no longer with the team or running with the second unit. We should realistically expect a more aggressive stance through the air from the Saints this year. It seems to have been lost in the turnover with this team that offensive coordinator Pete Carmichael once led this franchise to 14 consecutive seasons, finishing in the top 10 in total offense. It also seems like a distant memory, but the Saints ranked top 10 in overall pass rate and third in pass rate when trailing in 2019 with an aging Drew Brees and Pete Carmichael at offensive coordinator. The promotion of previous defensive coordinator Dennis Allen to head coach means we're likely to see Carmichael regain control of offensive play calling duties. Another little known fact surrounding Carmichael, this won't be his first stint calling plays as Sean Payton routinely relinquished control of those duties throughout their time together, dating back to 2006. All of that should come together to form a situation where we can be confident in Carmichael designing and calling an offense best suited to maximize the talent on the field, and that talent on the field includes wide receivers Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, and rookie Chris Olave, running back Alvin Kamara, and tight ends Adam Troutman and Taysom Hill. Final note, the Saints offensive line has fallen all the way down to 21st overall in preseason rankings per PFF. Primary running back Alvin Kamara averaged a paltry 3.7 yards per tote in 2021, which was a full .9 yards per carry less than his previous career low, all the way back in 2018, when he averaged 4.6 yards per carry. That dip in efficiency is most likely attributable to the one-dimensionality of the offense and the predictable nature of the play calling, allowing additional emphasis to be placed towards stopping the run. As in, there's a higher percentage chance we see Kamara regain his per-touch efficiency rather than he has reached his career cliff. We can't rely on net adjusted line yards metrics, my primary indicator of a team's matchup on the ground, for the first month of play, leaving us with the makeup of the opposing defense and defensive archetypes as our fallback for analysis. The Falcons were ranked dead last in defensive metrics in 2021 and were dealt an early blow this offseason with the retirement of Eddie Goldman. Other than star Grady Jarrett, there is a lot left to be desired from this defensive front. Primary nose tackle Anthony Rush will be charged with lead run-stopping duties. He's a player that has bounced around the league during his career. In all, consider this a plus matchup on the ground for the Saints. Behind Kamara, expect veteran Mark Ingram to reprise his role as the primary change of pace back. What remains to be seen is the workload distribution between the two, but I would tentatively expect we see Kamara in the 12-14 rush attempt and the 4-6 target range on a standard week. I alluded to the changing dynamics of this team through the air above, but it bears repeating here. The Saints are one of, if not the team, with the biggest improvement to pass catchers in the league. They legitimately played every game last season with players that could barely crack NFL rosters, 
Now they have three pristine route runners in Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, and Chris Olave, the latter of whom is probably the most polished route runner to come out of this year's draft. They also see the return of perennial gunslinger quarterback Jameis Winston, who missed 10 games last season with a torn ACL and accompanying MCL damage, suffered in Week 8. I would surmise that this team is going to approach winning games far differently than what we saw last season. The general composition of the offense should see Michael Thomas as the X receiver, Chris Olave as the Z receiver, and Jarvis Landry as the Y receiver. But Olave's ability to play both perimeter and slot snaps gives Carmichael a good deal of flexibility when it comes to offensive alignments. The relative lack of talent at the tight end position should also funnel expected production primarily through the wide receivers and Alvin Kamara, which, depending on health, could lead to relatively condensed targets in most weeks. How Atlanta will try to win. Falcons GM Terry Fontenot comes to Atlanta after 18 seasons in the Saints scouting department, most recently serving as the vice president and assistant general manager of pro personnel. I lead with the GM because of the outstanding draft the Falcons just had in conjunction with the additions of presumed starting wide receiver Brian Edwards and standout cornerback Casey Hayward. While it appears the organization is a year or two away from full rebuild, they have laid the groundwork well to begin that journey. Most notably, head coach and offensive play caller Arthur Smith and defensive coordinator Dean Pease are two of the most forward-thinking coaches in the league. That said, the most glaring deficiencies on each side of the ball are the offensive and defensive lines, which is likely to greatly influence how this team can attempt to try and win games. As in, although Pease brings a complex defensive scheme to the table that attempts to swarm the point of reception, defensive line deficiencies tend to allow enough time for opposing offenses to find holes in complex zone schemes. Whereas on the offensive side of the ball, we should expect a similarly one-dimensional aerial attack, with the only true rusher being Damian Williams, an offensive line ranked in the bottom five in the league by PFF entering the year, a mobile quarterback who primarily excels with timing, and an elite cast of pass catchers and second-year tight end Kyle Pitts, electric rookie wide receiver Drake London, dynamic running back Corderell Patterson, and newcomer deep man Brian Edwards to stretch the field vertically. The run game for the Falcons takes a bit of objective analysis, but it appears likely we see Damian Williams mix in frequently with Corderell Patterson for a team that ran the football only 23.1 times per game in 21, fourth fewest attempts per game in the league. Williams' career high in attempts is only 111 back in 2019 with the Chiefs, so we're not likely to see him suddenly emerge as lead anything, but he does offer a nice complimentary piece for the Falcons as a player that offers the same dynamic abilities with the ball in his hands as Patterson. As in, the offense shouldn't be forced to change much regardless of which back is on the field. In all, lead back on the Falcons likely means a weekly expectation of 10-12 to carries and 4-6 to targets behind one of the worst offensive lines in the league. The bread and butter of this team, and where most of the fantasy production is likely to come from, is the aerial game. Kyle Pitts, Drake London, Brian Edwards, and Corderell Patterson offer enough in the way of athleticism and dynamic ability to keep opposing defenses honest. But the expectation of poor offensive line play and a quarterback not known to possess the greatest pocket presence could force this team to adopt an offensive game plan more biased to short to intermediate passing. Looking at career tendencies and efficiency metrics, quarterback Marcus Mariota has been above average when targeting running backs and tight ends and well below average when targeting both perimeter and slot wide receivers, a notable statistical metric considering the makeup of this team. Whether or not eventual production flows primarily through those two positions ultimately depends on how opposing defenses choose to approach defensive game plans this season and where we see tight end Kyle Pitts align on the field, but early expectations should lead to the highest efficiency through both the tight end and running back positions. Likeliest Game Flow The Saints are the clearly superior team across the board, leaving a large portion of the likeliest game flow in their hands. 
A good chunk of the potential outcomes regarding game script from this one depend on how the Saints choose to attack. Being the first game of the season under a new defensive-minded head coach with an offensive coordinator and play caller that has historically designed and implemented an offense best suited to maximize the talent he has on the field, it is likely we see a similarly slow-paced offense, but one that is tailored more towards a pass-balanced approach. We saw the Saints exhibit cutthroat tendencies under Sean Payton, driving up scores and treating each possession as further tune-ups, but it remains to be seen if we see the same tendencies carry forward under a new head coach. Of note, the organization primarily promoted from within this offseason, so continuity does exist. That's an important thought process to get through as we should expect this game to be controlled by the Saints throughout, even on the road. Browns at Panthers. Kickoff Sunday, September 11th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 42.5. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86. Narratives gone wild in this game. Revenge, comeback, scandal, coaching hot seat, it's got it all. Cleveland should lean into their strength on the ground to attack a Carolina defense that is a big disadvantage up front. The Browns' offense with Jacoby Brissett should resemble what we saw last year with an injured Baker Mayfield. Carolina's offensive line is a question mark, but they will likely use the strengths of their offensive personnel to mask that deficiency. Explosive plays may be hard to come by in this game as both teams will lean heavily on their running game and short area passing. How Cleveland will try to win. Last season, the Panthers were one of the bigger run-funnel defenses in the league as they played heavy coverage schemes and defended the pass very well, forcing passes underneath but getting gashed up front often as a result. The Panthers have the same defensive coaching staff in place this year and haven't significantly changed their personnel, making it likely that their defense looks very similar this year to what we saw last year. This is great news for the Browns. Cleveland's offense sputtered through the end of last season as they struggled to get things going with a clearly injured and limited Baker Mayfield. This year, with Jacoby Brissett under center to start the year, we should expect a similar approach to last year when they had the sixth lowest pass-to-run ratio in the NFL. The Browns continue to have one of the top five offensive lines in the NFL, and it should be no secret to anyone on either side of the field that they are going to look to leverage that strength into offensive success. They have a trio of talented running backs who have all shown the ability to carry the load when necessary, but should have the luxury of rotating those backs and pounding the Panthers into submission while protecting their adequate but not a world-beater fill-in QB. The Browns' offense will look different this year, with explosive downfield options Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones starting on the perimeter and the uber-athletic David Njoku taking over as the starting tight end in place of the catch-and-fall-down Austin Hooper. Long term, there will likely be some very fun periods from this team. However, this week in a matchup against a high-end pass defense, it is unlikely we see anything close to a ceiling performance from the passing game. During the preseason, the Browns did show a propensity to use more misdirection and horizontal concepts than we've seen from them in the past. Specifically, they ran some jet sweeps and quick pitches to receivers in motion as a way to try stretching the defense horizontally since they are likely going to struggle to stretch defenses vertically until a QB upgrade happens. Overall, this side of the ball should be relatively predictable for a Week 1 NFL game. The Browns are going to run the ball at a very high rate, and likely do so in an efficient manner. When they do take to the air, they may take the occasional deep shot, but will mostly focus on the short, middle-of-the-field screen game and horizontal concepts as a means of moving the chains. The Browns have an above-average defense, and clearly based on their actions this offseason, don't have a lot of confidence in Baker Mayfield's ability to go out and beat a team, so their game plan here will likely be very conservative so as to not beat themselves. How Carolina will try to win. Carolina made some big improvements to their offensive line this offseason, 
yet it's still hard to see them being better than a bottom 10 unit as we enter the 2022 season. That being said, this offense should have more spark than we saw from it most of the last two seasons, with Christian McCaffrey fully healthy and a healthy Baker Mayfield bringing the best QB play they've had since 2018. Granted, this is a small sample size, but Baker Mayfield threw to running backs on eight of his 22 pass attempts, 36% in the preseason. And that was without all-world running back Christian McCaffrey suiting up. During those short preseason stints, we saw a lot of throws on short, outbreaking routes from the Panthers in their game plan. The Browns' defensive scheme is traditionally heavy in zone concepts, which brings some risk to the Panthers if they try to attack on those outbreaking routes, with defensive backs being able to keep their eyes in the backfield and jump passes to the sidelines. This is a big concern for the Panthers, as Mayfield threw 10 interceptions in his last six games of 2021, while completing over 60% of his passes in only one of those games. Granted, Mayfield was dealing with a left shoulder injury that has since been repaired, but still, there are reasons for concern against a defense that knows him extremely well and is a pair of difference-making players on the edges in Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney. Ideally, the Panthers will try to win this game by getting the ball out of Mayfield's hands quickly and attacking the middle of the field to get their playmakers matched up with linebackers and avoid Baker floating any ducks into the waiting hands of Denzel Ward for a walk-in touchdown. Cleveland's front office has been analytically minded for a few years now, and teams like that generally devalue the value of interior linebackers, which makes a short area approach focused on hitches, slants, and crossing routes particularly appealing in this matchup. While the Panthers' offensive line is at a bit of a disadvantage, they will also have no choice but to try and establish some semblance of a running game, though that would optimally be done on later downs rather than having first down runs of no gain or a loss that lead to long second and third down situations. It is also worth noting that Baker Mayfield, when healthy, has been pretty accurate throwing the ball down the field, and last season, the Browns had several games with miscommunication and breakdowns on the back end of their secondary that led to big plays for their opponents, particularly early in the season. While not likely, there is a reasonable chance that the Panthers come out swinging and take a couple early shots to try to take control and relieve some pressure on their rush defense and avoid having to play from behind against a team built to milk and protect leads. Likeliest Game Flow In a game like this, with both offenses wanting to play conservatively, we have two reasonable scenarios to look for that would make this game turn up in tempo and scoring. 1. Turnovers or mistakes by one team that give the other team short fields and easy scores, forcing the team that made the mistakes to in turn become aggressive as they try to claw their way back. 2. The team with the greatest offensive strength and matchup is able to exploit that angle to a great enough degree that they build a lead and force the issue organically. For both of those scenarios in this game, the Browns seem most likely to be the ones in control. One, despite the Baker revenge narrative, Cleveland has familiarity with his tendencies and weaknesses and will certainly be ready to exploit them, making the Panthers the team most likely to make early mistakes and fall behind. Two, clearly the greatest offensive strength of either team is the Browns' offensive line and running game, which has a dream matchup against a soft front with a scheme that opens itself to chunk plays on the ground. This game is likely to be slow-paced and relatively low-scoring, with the Browns taking control eventually behind the strength of their running game and the ability of their defense to cause chaos. There are a couple of paths laid out above that could give this game some potential to surprise in the box score, but as far as game flow goes, we have a pretty good idea of what to expect. 49ers at Bears. Kickoff Sunday, September 11th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 42.5. Game Overview. By Hilo. Chicago has been busy on the waiver wire over the previous week, bringing in seven players, many of whom could immediately fill positions of need in the starting lineup. 
The only issue is they won't have much in the way of practice time with their new team before week one. One of the widest range of outcome games on the main slate for week one. San Francisco should drive the game flow, meaning lower than average total volume and potential fantasy ranges of outcomes driven by efficiency rather than volume. How San Francisco will try to win. Although we have a changing of the guard, so to speak, at the quarterback position for the 49ers this year, we can be fairly certain of how this team will approach trying to win games moving forward. We have a team with an established coaching staff and established identity that will now be adapting that identity to a quarterback with a different skill set than previous iterations, as opposed to, say, their opponents in Week 1 that are basically building from scratch. The identity of this team is to aggressively hunt the football on defense. They had 22 forced fumbles and 8 different players with an interception in 2021, utilizing complex zone concepts, an outside zone run scheme-based offense designed to get the football into its playmaker's hands in space, and an overall emphasis on winning the time of possession battle and minimizing mistakes. Now add the dynamic skill set of Trey Lance, and we're left with an offense that should be heavily biased towards the run and leveraged passing situations. Built to maximize the upside of yards after the catch giants, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, and Brandon Ayuk. It will be interesting to see how often the legs of Lance will be utilized early in the season in conjunction with that offensive shell, how often Debo Samuel will be aligned in the backfield or utilized on sweeps and end arounds and how often Kittle will be in a route. Elijah Mitchell is the unquestioned lead of this backfield after making his mark on the 2021 season, massing 1,132 yards on the ground on 262 carries, a solid 4.32 yards per carry. His combination of vision, decisiveness, and explosion out of the first cut is really the perfect fit for the offensive scheme employed by Shanahan. He should be primarily backed up by Jeff Wilson Jr. when healthy, followed by third-round rookie Tyrion Davis-Price. The team should carry those three running backs and fullback Kyle Juszczyk on game day after releasing both Trey Sermon and Jermichael Hasty. San Francisco's heavy 34% 21 personnel usage rate from 2021, led the league by a wide margin, should carry over into 2022, but it's a bit misleading from a top-level perspective in that the majority of the time it was the primary running back and Juszczyk on the field together, not two running backs. Add the approximately 10% of snaps from 21 personnel and we're left with an offense that operates primarily from alignments with only two wide receivers on the field, Debo and Ayuk. All of that to say, the primary running back on this offense should be on the field a ton. The other side of that discussion is the historically low pass game involvement from the position, meaning the primary back in this offense should be viewed as a yardage and touchdown back. The Bears allowed over 100 rushing yards per game in 21, but somehow only surrendered 9 total rushing scores and 88 targets to the position, more of a nod to the game flow opponents routinely found themselves in. The San Francisco pass offense is concentrated by necessity, largely due to the personnel groupings they like to run, but lacks any semblance of bankable weekly volume. For example, Debo saw 120 targets in 2021, Kittle saw 95, and Ayuk saw 85. The next highest target number over the course of the entire season was Jawan Jennings at 39. That said, this is an offense that threw the ball only 29.4 times per game in 21, second fewest in the league ahead of only the Seahawks. Since we can expect the overall identity of the offense to remain rather static heading into the new season, that means we should expect low volume and efficiency to be the name of the game in contests the 49ers are allowed to control or play to neutral scripts. More on the ramifications of these truths in the DFS interpretation section. How Chicago will try to win. The defensive-minded Matt Eberflus comes over from Indianapolis to serve as head coach of the Bears. The team also welcomes newcomer offensive coordinator Luke Getze, among two handfuls of others, who previously served as a quarterback's coach and passing game coordinator for the Packers. 
The hiring of Getsy is an interesting development for an organization attempting to build its identity around its young, second-year quarterback in Justin Fields. Getsy brings a dynamic set of coaching skills to the table, having worked with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay for three years. Last season, the Bears were perfectly content to hide their rookie quarterback through heavy rush rates and slow pace of play, 21st overall and 22nd situation neutral, but Fields was never truly given a chance to succeed, having started the season firmly behind Andy Dalton in a dysfunctional Matt Nagy scheme. It will be interesting to see the development of the young quarterback under new tutelage as he possesses one of the more dynamic skill sets of any quarterback in the league, plus arm strength and top-end mobility. That said, we truly don't know how this team will choose to win games to begin the season with any degree of certainty. What we do know is they are currently a team that lacks any real depth in offensive playmakers, with only Fields, wide receiver Darnell Mooney, running back David Montgomery, and tight end Cole Komet grading out as above-average NFL talents. The final notable discussion point surrounding this team heading into the season is the fact that almost everything has changed from a management and coaching perspective. New GM Ryan Poles cleaned house this summer, hiring no fewer than nine new coaches and standing up the organization's first-ever analytics department, including Kreethi Shandrakasan as the director of football analytics. The run game appears to be a full-fledged workhorse situation once more, after David Montgomery played a healthy 20 of 22 snaps with the starters in the final preseason tune-up, amassing nine carries and one target and handling all three third-down snaps. We didn't see Montgomery until that time, but before that we saw Khalil Herbert see similar workloads as the primary back during the first two preseason games. Maybe the best ball bros got it wrong here? Likely, in my opinion. Should that workload hold true into the regular season, it is possible, if not probable, that Montgomery finishes the season with the second or third most targets on the team, behind Darnell Moody and maybe Cole Komet, acting as field safety blanket out of the backfield. Now, he will still be running behind a bottom three offensive line per PFF, but the volume should be absolutely mouthwatering. The 49ers allowed only 21.8 DraftKings points per game to opposing backfields in 21, but they did seed 88 receptions on 111 targets to the position, 13th most in the league. Any improvement from Scheme or Justin Fields should improve Montgomery's efficiency and weekly ceiling. The pass-catching core currently shakes out as follows. A starting wide receiver room consisting of Darnell Mooney, Byron Pringle, and Equinemius St. Brown, with Cole Komet at tight end, and Montgomery at running back. That, my friends, is quite possibly the worst group in the NFL this season. But, yes, there's a but. That also means we should see a relatively tight concentration of targets, primarily amongst Mooney, Komet, and Montgomery. If Luke Getze and Kreethi Shandrakasan can combine to create an offensive scheme that simply remains unpredictable and keeps opposing defenses on their heels, we just might see the dynamic athleticism of Justin Fields' surface and be allowed to thrive. That said, and particularly over the first four to six weeks of the season, we could also see this offense flounder and completely fall flat. What a wide range of outcomes. You know what to do, and if you don't, no worries, I'll cover it more in the DFS interpretation section. Likeliest game flow. It doesn't take a lot of convincing, or at least it shouldn't, to say that the likeliest scenario is for the 49ers to control this one from the start. But we also must realize that each of these teams will be playing their first games of the season after a full off season of preparation with new quarterbacks. As in, the last time we saw these two youngsters, they were thrown into the fray with little to no preparation. With a full off season program now under each of their respective belts, it is likely their respective offenses look quite different. From an organizational level, through the lenses of team composition, continuity, and defensive skill and scheme, the 49ers are the far superior team, meaning it is likeliest we see them control this game, with each team coming in with new or different identities, built around their young quarterbacks. 
With that understanding, however, we absolutely must recognize that there is almost zero certainty from this game in week one, but that's not necessarily a bad thing considering the dynamic playmaking ability on each side. Everything from a 35-3 type stomping to a 31-28 shootout to a 17-10 snooze fest is on the table here, and if we played this game out 100 times, the distribution of those outcomes might be more condensed than the field is likely to credit for. Leverage alert. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. Steelers at Bengals. Kickoff Sunday, September 11th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 45. Game Overview by Hilo. The Steelers are sure to carry a wide range of potential outcomes as far as efficiency and scoring is concerned to start the year. Considering the multitude of moving pieces and an offensive coordinator that designs his offense to maximize the talent on the field. The biggest change for the Bengals is a complete overhaul and improvement of their offensive line heading into 2022, which should influence their play calling and game plan a good deal. Wide range of outcomes with respect to potential game flows, largely dependent on what the Steelers are able to muster offensively. Very clear, optimal plans of attack based on the range of potential outcomes of those game flows. How Pittsburgh will try to win. Mike Tomlin enters his 16th season as the Steelers' head coach, joined by second-year offensive coordinator and play caller Matt Canada and new defensive coordinator Terrell Austin via the in-house promotion. There's a few things to take away from the coaches alone. Matt Canada is adept at tailoring an offense to the strengths of his players, meaning we should look to those strengths to get a better feel for how the offense will look. Terrell Austin has been with the organization since 2019 and has previous defensive coordinator experience with the Lions 2014-17 and the Bengals in 2018. And finally, the identity of the team should remain with the retention of Tomlin, who has received some backlash from fans over the previous two seasons. That said, the rebuild is in full effect for these Steelers in 2022. Not only has their defense continued to regress over the previous three seasons, 22nd ranked total defense in 2021, but they come into 2022 with a bottom five ranked offensive line and new quarterback. Speaking of the new quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky has all but assuredly won the offseason quarterback battle, beating out rookie Kenny Pickett. So, when we circle back to Canada and his ability to design an offense around the players on the field, we're left with a journeyman quarterback behind a poor offensive line and declining defense, which influences play calling. The biggest issue with Trubisky behind a poor offensive line is his slower-than-average processing speed and long release time, which could mean a plethora of sacks taken this year, backing up the offense to long down and distance to go, and stalling drives. At the same time, however, the plus arm strength and ability to throw into tighter windows can help offset those discrepancies should Canada place him in the right environment to succeed, which I think he can. Najee Harris is one of the true bell cow backs remaining in the NFL, and based on the depth at the position behind him, I expect that to remain the case moving forward. The biggest issue is expected efficiency as Harris is coming off a season of 3.9 yards per carry on 307 totes. The expected and proven pass game involvement in addition to elite volume will keep him in weekly consideration regardless of opponent. The matchup is a net negative for Najee on the ground against a revamped zone-based Bengals defense, but one of the glaring holes in the defensive scheme for Cincinnati is passes to running backs out of the backfield, filtered 135 targets to the position in 2021, fourth most in the league. Behind Najee, I tentatively expect rookie Jalen Warren to serve as nothing more than a sparsely utilized change of pace back With Benny Snell on hand for emergency usage, the situation still isn't entirely clear, so Snell might start the season in a backup role, but the volume shouldn't matter regardless. 
In stark contrast to the talent on the roster in the trenches, the pass-catching core of Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, George Pickens, Pat Fryermuth, and the aforementioned Najee Harris is one of the more dynamic units in the league. One of the more interesting developments with this unit this offseason is the shifting of Claypool from a perimeter role to the slot, which was a product of the release of Juju Smith-Schuster and replacement by George Pickens. That kind of athleticism out of the slot is not something often seen at the NFL level, which will create routine mismatches against typically undersized slot coverage. Considering our exploration of the offensive design above, I would expect we see a re-emphasis on ball-out quick timing, layered crossing routes designed to stress coverage, high running back route involvement, and the occasional deep shot built off of all of it. That means this offense, and Mitch Trubisky in particular, is going to have to be efficient in order to sustain drives and put points on the board. It can be done, as we've seen in the past, but we're likely to see a relatively wide range of weekly outcomes from this team to start the season. How Cincinnati will try to win Zach Taylor coached this Bengals team to the Super Bowl last year, eventually falling just short in a close game against the Rams. What we saw was a cutting-edge, forward-thinking offensive approach and high reliance on analytics, which was a welcome sight to see. That meant unpredictability and early down play calling, getting his playmakers the ball in space, and going for it on fourth down when the numbers suggested he should. Cincinnati also ran the highest rate of 11 personnel at 77%, which led to the third highest wide receiver target rate in the league, and something I expect to carry forward into 2022. The pass-catching core of Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Hayden Hurst is one of the more dynamic units in the league, and is capable of putting stress on the opposing defenses at multiple levels which led to Joe Burrow completing the fourth most passes of 20-plus yards and the second most passes of 40-plus yards last year. The high level of continuity and improvements to the offensive line mean the Bengals should once again be counted on as one of the betting favorites in the AFC. It should be widely accepted at this point to say that the Bengals' offensive line is the most improved unit this season, going from a bottom 10 unit to a projected top 10 unit, ranked 7th per PFF. That should directly influence play calling from Zach Taylor particularly in games they are able to assert control over early. That should theoretically lead to additional rush attempts from Joe Mixon in positive game scripts and higher efficiency. Coming off a 292 carry, 4.1 yards per carry season, that's a big deal, friends. The matchup on the ground is a net positive against the Steelers' defense that just surrendered 4.97 yards per carry to opposing backs in 2021. Expect Samaje talk of Camp Pirine to be the primary change of pace back while Chris Evans could possibly forge a primary pass down role. Not much needs to be said about this Bengals pass offense after what we saw last season, but here goes anyway. As discussed above, the dynamic nature of the varying route trees of Cincinnati's primary pass game contributors creates confusion amongst opposing secondaries and gets athletic freaks in space with the ball in their hands. Jamar Chase is coming off a season where he set the rookie record for the most receiving yards in the Super Bowl era. T. Higgins has amassed 141 receptions for 1,999 yards and 12 scores in his first two years in the league. Tyler Boyd has been extremely consistent as the primary slot receiver for this franchise over the previous six seasons. Finally, the team brought in athletic tight end Hayden Hurst to fill the void left at the position. That said, Zach Taylor has exhibited play-calling tendencies highly reliant on game flow, meaning additional pass volume generally has to be forced. Likeliest Game Flow This game sets up to provide a range of outcomes as it's likely as game flow, in that we can all but rule out the Steelers asserting control completely, but everything from a Cincinnati stomping to a back-and-forth affair is on the table at comparable odds, largely dependent on where on the spectrum the efficiency of Trubisky and the Steelers' offense lands. That actually sets up for an interesting scenario considering I don't see this game garnering too much attention on the main slate. 
Since we can also narrow down play calling for the Bengals with a good deal of certainty dependent on the flow of the game, that means it becomes rather easy to build for the range of outcomes with respect to the game flow. As in, the Bengals' pass rate with the score within 7 points last year was 60%, while their pass rate when playing with a lead of 7 or more points fell to 51%, and that was with a bottom 10 offensive line. Their offensive line now ranks 7th overall per PFF, heading into 2022. Eagles at Lions. Kickoff Sunday, September 11th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 46.5. Game overview by High Low. Not a ton to love in the way of guaranteed points from this one, even with a lofty 49 game total. Likely as game flow has each team running their preferred plan of attack deep into the game. Each team prefers to share the load on the ground, and each pass offense is far from concentrated. Some interesting alternate game flows designated as such due to the lower likelihood of actually happening, as we need in order to do a full tributary write-up. If you're new to OWS, first of all, welcome. Secondly, in games that have a fair chance at developing in ways the field might not be employing, we typically provide a full tributary write-up that dives into the likeliest way for the game to play differently than public perception. How Philadelphia will try to win. Here's the thing with the Eagles. We don't really know how they're going to try and win games to start this year. We saw the two extremes from this squad last year, showcasing a robust 63% overall pass rate over the first six weeks of the season, and then leading the league in overall rush rate the remainder of the season with an insanely low 44% overall pass rate. We know why they chose to approach things differently last year. We know they have the projected top overall offensive line in the league heading into 22, and we know they went ham in free agency to acquire A.J. Brown to run with Devonta Smith, Quez Watkins, and Dallas Goddard. Which side wins, the run or the pass? Furthermore, the team has been aggressive through free agency over the previous two seasons on the defensive side of the ball, particularly in the secondary. They've brought in Darius Slay, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, Marcus Epps, and James Bradbury during that time frame, each of whom will begin the season as starters. Add it all up and your guess is as good as mine, but most signs point back to a run-balanced approach and aerial game capable of inflicting massive damage through both yards after the catch ability and deep strike playmaking ability. Although pace of play can't be considered a sticky statistic year over year, one of the more predictive pace statistics is first half pace of play, and the Eagles ranked ninth in that category last season, fifth overall. So my most educated guess is fast-paced, run-focused, with the talent and explosiveness through the air to inflict heavy damage all at once. Oh man, where to even begin on the ground? The RB1 on this team is very likely their quarterback. The RB1 on paper might miss this contest with a hamstring injury, Miles Sanders. And the team recently brought in ex-49er Trey Sermon to join Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott as more-than-depth pieces. On the other side, the Lions did some work this offseason to bolster their 4-3 base defense, drafting Aiden Hutchinson second overall to pair with Michael Brockers, Aline McNeil, and Charles Harris up front. The Lions might not cede 21.4 points per game to opposing running backs like they did last year, second worst in the league, considering they only gave up 57 total receptions to the position last year, tied for fewest in the league. At best, this Eagles run game is a three-headed monster, Hertz, Sanders, or Scott, and Gainwell, and at worst, it's a four-headed monster. As I alluded to above, I don't expect we'll see volume be the primary contributor to fantasy goodness from the Eagles this season. As such, we want to look for opportunities to target this unit at low ownership and largely fade them if they are expected to carry anything resembling heavy ownership. Any one of Brown, Smith, Watkins, or Goddard can wreak havoc on 5-7 to seven targets, which is honestly the likeliest range of targets for each of them on a given week. Brown would be the most obvious player to see higher volume than that range on a weekly basis. 
Furthermore, this Lions secondary seeded the most yards per pass attempt, 7.6, and second most yards per completion, 11.6, in the league last season. More on this situation in the DFS Plus interpretation section. How Detroit will try to win. Everything we've seen from the Lions this offseason, and from a wider lens, everything we've seen from the Lions under Dan Campbell, has firmly pointed to the run game. The Lions have worked their way up to the third-ranked offensive line entering 2022, per PFF, which should provide them with the opportunity to play the smash-mouth-style football their head coach envisions. What's more, the offense took a massive step forward in the second half of the 21 season when Campbell took over play-calling duties and new offensive coordinator Ben Johnson was promoted to pass game coordinator. Expect more of the same this season, as the team aims to remain unpredictable and call a more dynamic game plan. One of my biggest takeaways from watching the Lions during the second half of last season was just that, the unpredictable nature of play calling, a good thing. For example, they ranked 12th in the league in pass play rate on first down, but 28th in the league in pass rate with the score within 7 points. Further indication of how they'd like to try and win games, but also a highlight of the fact that they aren't simply running on obvious rushdowns and passing when they're forced to. The beastly running back tandem of DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams returned to form one of the better one-two punches in the league. The two played only 11 games where both were fully healthy in 2021. In those 11 games, Swift averaged a 62.3% snap rate, while Williams averaged a 34.3% snap rate. And I would expect those rates to remain rather sticky with a high level of confidence moving forward. What might get lost in the shuffle of season-long drafts is the fact that Swift saw no more than 14 rush attempts in any single game, with both healthy, averaging a healthy yet unspectacular 18.3 running back opportunities per game. Jamal Williams averaged 12.4 running back opportunities per game in those same 11 games. So, while the offensive game plan is almost assuredly going to start with the run game, we have a definite 1A, 1B situation on our hands, severely capping the weekly ceiling of both parties. The Eagles allowed 26.3 DraftKings points per game to opposing backfields in 21 and maintain a high level of continuity on the defensive front. For all the things that Jared Goff is not, he is more than capable of managing a game through timing, good decision-making, and limiting mistakes. Furthering that discussion to the skill sets of his primary pass catchers leads us to the realization that this pass offense has been built around what Goff does well. As in, each of DJ Shark, Amon Ross St. Brown, Josh Reynolds, DeAndre Swift, and TJ Hawkinson are extremely crisp route runners capable of creating separation both in close and over the intermediate areas of the field, areas of the field where Goff should primarily be working. The Lions ran almost exclusively out of 11, 12, and 21 personnel in 2021, landing near league average in all three categories. Although St. Brown grew into that guy for the Lions in 2021, most of the damage he did last year was without Hawkinson and Swift in the lineup. Not to discount his fantasy prospectus moving forward, just to highlight the fact that this offense is highly unlikely to be as concentrated as what we saw towards the end of the season last year. That could be an issue for a team that played at the league's 29th ranked pace of play last season and averaged only 62.1 offensive plays run from scrimmage per game. To highlight that, if we take the run pass rates and plays per game from 2021, we're left with 32.3 pass attempts per game and 29.8 rush attempts per game. And the team now has a pass catching core consisting of Shark, St. Brown, Reynolds, Swift, plus Williams, and Hawkinson. Excuse me for not projecting any one of those guys to approach double-digit looks per game. Likeliest Game Flow This game is likelier than most in Week 1 to remain run-balanced on both sides, likely requiring one team to jump out to a multi-score lead to change how either would choose to attack. The game spread currently sits with the Eagles favored by 4 points on the road, indicating a rather hefty level of confidence in that not becoming the case. 
Said another way, this game is likelier than most in week one to allow each team to stick to their game plan deep into the game. And that game plan for each team should be a run-balanced approach, meaning the likelihood of this game breaking open into something we had to have to win the week is slim. Furthermore, since each team should tilt run-balanced and each team's run games are split amongst multiple members, there isn't a ton to love from a guaranteed points perspective, even though the game total sits at a hefty 49 points, as of this writing. If exploring alternate game flows, think hard about how those game flows would develop and plan builds accordingly. Maybe that's through a deep shot or a broken play from the Eagles that forces the Lions to the air sooner than they'd like. Colts at Texans. Kickoff Sunday, September 11th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 44 and a half. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86. The Colts offense dismantled Houston's defense last year and should be more balanced and explosive in 2022. The Texans should be much improved from their 2021 season, but have a poor matchup on both sides of the ball to start this year. Pace and game flow should be slow, with both teams likely to be run heavy, and the Colts coming off a season where they rank dead last in pace of play. Houston is unlikely to score many points, making this game's chances of staying close rely on the Colts' offense faltering. How Indianapolis will try to win. Frank Reich must be in heaven. A real NFL QB who doesn't try to throw the ball with his weak hand from his own end zone? In all seriousness, Matt Ryan presents the biggest upgrade to the quarterback situation the Colts have had since Andrew Luck's surprise retirement on the eve of the 2019 season. After a year with backup types filling in at the last minute, the Colts settled for noodle-armed end-of-career Phillip Rivers in 2020 and then absent-minded Carson Wentz in 2021. While the last two seasons ended in a more than respectable 20-13 and 13 record, a quick playoff exit in 2020 and a Week 18 loss to the Jaguars to miss the playoffs in 2021 is an extremely disappointing outcome for a team with the talent, depth, and coaching that this Colts team has. Last year, the Colts made the move to using Jonathan Taylor as a true feature back and offensive centerpiece about halfway through the season as they were around 500 and fighting for their playoff lives for a slow start to the year. That move proved wise as Taylor established himself as one of the top running backs in the league and nearly carried the team on his back to the playoffs. This year, with the addition of Ryan, word out of Colts camp is that they will become more balanced and throw the ball more, while also likely being more versatile and flexible to adjust to what defenses throw at them. Wentz has always been a very good athlete, but his ability to read defenses both before and after the snap has always been in question. Meanwhile, Ryan is one of the smarter QBs in the game and has done this at a high level for many years. This is also by far the best running back and offensive line Ryan has played with in years, if not in his entire career. For all intents and purposes, this is a match made in heaven, and all for the meager price of a third-round draft pick from the Colts. Big picture, if and when teams sell out to stop Taylor, the Colts will now have a QB under center who can make the pre-snap adjustments needed and then execute what needs to be done to make teams pay. With that in mind, the Colts will almost certainly pass at a much higher rate this season than they did last season, although for this particular matchup, we may not see it quite yet. Looking at this specific game, in two meetings last season, the Colts won both games by a combined score of 62-3, with Taylor running for a combined 288 rushing yards and five touchdowns. As the saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The Texans' defense should be improved this season, and they will almost certainly sell out to stop the run in this matchup after last year's slaughtering, but containment would be a victory here for the Texans, while stopping the Colts' running game would be an incredible surprise, even by NFL standards. The Indianapolis offensive line is not quite the juggernaut it has been in past seasons, but it is still a top-10 unit, and the Texans have arguably one of the least talented defensive fronts in the league. 
During the offseason, the Texans used the third and 37th overall picks in the NFL draft on defensive backs, a shrewd move that should provide long-term dividends, but one that will do little to nothing to help the Texans stop the freight train of the Colts' running game in this matchup. How Houston will try to win. Davis Mills was a bit of an afterthought in the 2021 QB class and walked into a train wreck of a situation in Houston, but he acquitted himself quite well when given opportunities and had some very bright moments down the stretch. His performance was strong enough to convince the Texans to stick with him for at least one more year and build the rest of the team around him. Unfortunately for Mills, in week one, he is facing a very talented and well-coached Colts defense, which ranked eighth in DVOA in 2021, and held Mills to a combined passing line of 35 for 57 for 292 yards, 5.1 yards per attempt, zero TDs, and five interceptions in two matchups. With respective QB ratings of 62.5 and 52.4 in the putrid outings. The Texans' running game has been a popular topic among football people this preseason, as rookie fourth rounder Damian Pierce appears to have seized the starting role, although he appears to cede situational work to veteran Rex Burkhead for the time being. The Texans' offensive line was bottom tier last season, ranking 32nd in adjusted line yards, while the Colts' defense was dominant against the run ranking third in rush defense DVOA by Football Outsiders metrics. While the Texans added a very good prospect at left guard in Kenyon Green with the 15th overall pick in the NFL draft, the pair along elite left tackle Jeremy Tunsil, that is unlikely to be enough to lead to consistent push up front against such a high-end unit in the first week of the season. While the matchup is daunting on the ground, it seems unlikely that historically conservative head coach Lovey Smith would be one to be aggressive through the air in a matchup like this. The Texans are likely to try to win by controlling the ball and hoping their improved offensive line and rookie running back can help them consistently move the chains. This would also give their defense time to rest and shorten the game, hopefully giving themselves a chance to stay close enough to pull this out late. Likeliest Game Flow The Colts have a huge advantage in the area of their greatest offensive strength and the Texans are an overmatched unit just hoping to stay close enough to pull off an upset. That gives us a situation where the Colts are likely to run the ball at a high rate, and the Texans are likely to be run-focused in an effort to keep the ball out of the Colts' hands so they can't run the ball. Get the picture? The likeliest game flow here is that both offenses have similar approaches, with the Colts having much more success early in the game. This will inevitably lead to the Texans having to open things up as they try to fight their way back into a competitive matchup. The Colts' passing game should have a very efficient day as they can pick their spots to attack an exposed secondary that is sold out to slow down Taylor, while the Texans' passing attack is likely to need volume to give us production, and the game flow is likely to provide that volume. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. Patriots at Dolphins. Kickoff Sunday, September 11th, 1 p.m. Eastern, over under 45. Game Overview by Hilo. The Patriots have a ton of moving parts heading into 2022, less from a personnel perspective and more from an offensive scheme perspective. The overall identity of the Patriots should remain intact, likely focused on the suffocating defense and above-average offensive line. Very few scenarios in this game lead to the Patriots controlling the flow, potentially leaving New England in uncomfortable and recently unfamiliar territory. If I'm Bill Belichick planning for this contest, I'm placing heavy emphasis on the run game in order to exploit the only true weakness of the Miami defense. Very few avenues to the game environment turning into something favorable for fantasy production. How New England will try to win. 
The Patriots enter the season with a new offensive coordinator for the first time since 2012, when Josh McDaniels joined Bill Belichick after a short stint with the Rams. Although not yet officially named the offensive coordinator, which seems to simply be a Belichickian ploy, all signs point to Matt Patricia calling plays, as he did for every snap taken by the first team this preseason. With the change in offensive coordinator comes a shift from the usual Patriot power run game to a more outside zone run scheme. At least that's what we saw in preseason. We also saw this unit largely struggle under second-year quarterback Mac Jones during the preseason, raising questions as to the efficacy of an offense called by Patricia, who hasn't even worked on the offensive side of the ball since 2005. That is to say, the change from McDaniels to Patricia and the resulting expectation heading into the season from this offense should not be understated. What we can say with a high degree of certainty is that this team's identity is likely to revolve around the defense and an offensive line that PFF has their 7th ranked unit heading into 2022. The embarrassment of riches this team possessed on the defensive side of the ball allowed them to move on from Kyle Van Noy and J.C. Jackson, with Jonathan Jones and Raekwon McMillan set to take over. That should mean we see another dominant year after the Patriots held opponents to only 19.4 points per game in 2021, the third fewest in the league. The departure of James White to retirement and Ty Montgomery's ankle injury leaves the backfield in a likely tight 1A-1B situation, split between incumbents Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. Reports from camp and preseason seem to indicate the backfield will be far less situational and more aimed at keeping each fresh deep into the game, likely indicating we see each rotating in throughout a drive. That should be considered a boost to the weekly floor of each back as they are likely to see increased pass game work. As mentioned above, the most notable shift in this year's backfield is a transition away from a power-focused rushing attack towards some more outside zone elements, which should theoretically benefit Stevenson more than Harris, but that remains to be seen. The bigger issue I see is the relative incompetence we saw from the offense as a whole during the preseason, which could bring into question their scoring efficiency. As in, the Patriots ranked in the top 10 in total offense in 9 of the 10 previous seasons, a trend that could be bucked this year. Based on the composition of the pass-catching core and weight against the strengths of Mac Jones, I expect the overall theme of the pass game to remain relatively static heading into 2022. Basically, Devontae Parker, Jacoby Myers, Hunter Henry, and Johnny Smith are best suited to short to intermediate work where they are asked to win in the first five yards, leaving only Kendrick Bourne to stretch the field vertically to start the season. Dynamic rookie wide receiver Tyquan Thornton was placed on injured reserve and will miss the first four games of the season at minimum. As such, expect the passing game to focus on moving the chains in a methodical fashion, dinking and dunking down the field by limiting mistakes and avoiding long down and distance to go situations. This does two things for our understanding of this unit. One, if effective, it should lead to high time of possession and minimal overall game volume. And two, if ineffective, it could put additional strain on a bend but don't break defense. How Miami will try to win. Defensive coordinator Josh Boyer, a disciple of the Bill Belichick defensive coaching tree, gets the pleasure of calling plays for a defensive unit that boasts one of the top secondaries in the league. Last season, these Dolphins allowed the sixth fewest passing touchdowns and seventh lowest average yards per attempt, and all signs point to a continued success in those areas. On the other side of the ball, the complete overhaul of the offensive skill position players culminated in the combination of crisp technicians and vast explosiveness across the board. With Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Cedric Wilson, Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, and even tight end Mike Gusecki. That's a lot of firepower that can stretch a defense both vertically and horizontally. 
Whether or not we see that explosiveness translate to points on the scoreboard early in the year depends largely on quarterback Tua Tagovailoa and, by extension, quarterbacks coach Daryl Bevel, offensive coordinator Frank Smith, and head coach Mike McDaniel. That said, you'd be hard-pressed to find a third-year quarterback better positioned for a career breakout year in recent history than one with Tua's unreal supporting cast and elite offensive minds at coaching. We can't be completely certain as things currently stand, but all signs point to a backfield with a 1A, 1B breakdown in opportunities, likely resulting in Chase Edmonds operating at a 55-60% snap rate and Raheem Mostert getting 40-45%. to How those snaps and opportunities eventually break out is anyone's guess, but I would surmise we see Edmonds and Mostert share early down work, with Edmonds the clear primary pass down option. The heavy zone blocking scheme utilizing movements and pulls up front favors backs with good vision, decision-making ability, and explosiveness out of the first cut, all of which embody the two backs at their disposal almost to a T and should help mask the relative deficiencies of their offensive line, the 23rd ranked unit per PFF, and a unit ranked 30th last season in offensive line yards. The Miami pass offense is a tantalizing combination of elite athleticism and crisp route technical aspects amongst Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, Cedric Wilson, and Mike Isecki. How those pieces come together to form a whole and how effective Tua can be with multiple vertical threats remain to be seen, but the upside of this unit is undeniable. Considering the main pass catchers, we should see layered route trees capable of stretching opposing defenses both vertically and horizontally. Adding to that discussion is the general misdirection and coverage lapses that can occur when you have so many moving pieces up front through the run game, which is a dangerous thought considering Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddell, and Cedric Wilson can all generate space in close upon release. When you add it all up, this offense is about as dynamic as they come and should continue to put stress on opposing defenses all year. Likeliest Game Flow The combination of defensive mentality, bend but don't break, give up yards between the 20s and hunker down in the red zone, Uncertain offensive philosophy and strengths of the Patriots quarterback yields a situation that is likeliest to place the additional strain on the defense to start the season. It is far more likely we see an offense struggle to sustain drives to begin the year, which means lower time of possession and less overall volume. That's a difficult barrier to overcome against the Dolphins team that now includes physical freaks Tyree Kill, Chase Edmonds, Jalen Waddell, Cedric Wilson, and Raheem Mostert, all of whom bring varying degrees of precision and explosiveness to the table. That was a long way to say that the percentage solution for the flow of this game is for the Dolphins to control the time of possession, script, and pace, likely leaving the Patriots in uncomfortable territory. Furthermore, although less likely to actually transpire, the most likely tributary involves both teams struggling offensively against above-average defensive units, resulting in a likely slugfest. Either way, the onus will likely fall onto the Patriots' defense to keep them in the game, leaving room for their run game to exploit the only true weakness of the Miami defense. The Ravens at the Jets kick off Sunday, September 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 44.5. Game Overview by Hilo Baltimore attempted 35.9 passes per game in 2021 after attempting 25.9 passes per game in 2020. The Ravens could be without their top two running backs to start the season. Perennial underachiever Mike Davis, recent signing Kenyon Drake, and depth piece Justin Hill round out the running back depth chart behind J.K. Dobbins and PUP lister Gus Edwards. The Jets could be starting backup quarterback Joe Flacco following the knee injury to starting quarterback Zach Wilson in the first preseason game. 
The question from this one shouldn't be, what is the likeliest game flow? The question should be, how do we expect the Ravens to try and win this game, knowing the issues with their backfield? How Baltimore will try to win. The Ravens were the most outlier team in the league last year when compared to how they normally try and win games under Harbaugh. What I mean by that is this. They threw the ball 35.9 times per game in 2021 after throwing the ball 25.9 times per game in 2020, due in large part to the massive amount of injuries they had both before the season started, their top three running backs were lost for the season, and during the season. Multiple offensive linemen and countless members of their defense, including at all three levels. As such, we should expect this team to regress to their norm moving forward as a team whose identity is built from the run game. That said, they are about to start the season without Gus Edwards and potentially J.K. Dobbins, meaning we could see a backfield led by Mike Davis and the newcomer Kenyon Drake. Should that be the case, if Dobbins is held out or is limited in Week 1, we have a very interesting discussion on our hands. Would this team try and run an inefficient rusher and a back that has been with the team for less than two weeks, or would they place the game in the hands of their otherworldly quarterback, Lamar Jackson? Let's start with a recent quote from Harbaugh regarding his backfield. Quote, If J.K. can go out right now, that would be great. I would be excited. He had a good practice today. If not, we have the guys that will play. So, we're good either way. End quote. Man, talk about a vote of confidence. If ever there were a quote that said absolutely nothing, that would be it. The most troubling thing, for me, was the addition of Kenyon Drake late in the preseason, which likely signals growing concerns surrounding their lead running back heading into the year. That supposition garners additional support via recent videos out of Baltimore practices, showing Dobbins with a noticeable limp following individual drills. Regardless, I think it prudent to operate under the assumption that we either see Baltimore without their lead back or see him limited in Week 1. Which brings us back to the question of how do we think Baltimore will try to win this game with a backfield consisting primarily of Mike Davis and Kenyon Drake? Davis is a career 3.7 yards per carry, having played on five different teams over his eight-year career, while Drake was brought to town at the end of August, just 11 days before the first matchup game of the season. With that exploration in mind, this is a good matchup on the ground for the Ravens. The Jets are fresh off a season where they allowed the most draft king points per game to opposing backfields on the backs of 28 total touchdowns allowed to the position, 23 of which came via rushing scores. The departure of Marquise Brown this offseason leaves Baltimore's primary pass catchers as newly anointed alpha Rashad Bateman, dynamic tight end Mark Andrews, and third-year return man David Verne. Baltimore ran 11 personnel only 43% of the time in 2021, behind only two offenses that played tight ends heavily as wide receivers in Miami and Atlanta. One of the biggest offseason storylines regarding Baltimore pass catchers is fourth-round rookie tight end Isaiah Likely, who many best ball drafters assume will garner a large role to begin the year. That said, Likely is a raw prospect that struggles with blocking technique, a notable development considering the identity of this team. As in, how many snaps are the Ravens truly going to allot to a tight end that is a poor blocker considering typical route participation rates from their TE2? Their TE2 last season were Eric Tomlinson, 18% route participation rate, Nick Boyle, 28% route participation rate, and Josh Oliver, 59% route participation rate. Regardless, Likely is currently listed as the third tight end on the depth chart and should be considered likely to start the season in a minimal role. James Pro should man the slot in what should amount to a part-time role. 
The reworked secondary of the Jets appears liable to cede major production to opposing tight ends once more after allowing 15.4 drafting points per game to the position in 2021 and bringing in DJ Reed, Sauce Gardner, LaMarcus Joyner, and Jordan Whitehead this offseason. How New York will try to win. The Jets lost promising tackle Mackay Becton to a re-injury of his surgically repaired knee in early August, prompting the free agency addition of Dwayne Brown, widely regarded as one of the top offensive line free agents on the market. That's important for this team for two reasons. One, the Jets allowed the fourth highest adjusted sack rate in 2021, and two, head coach Robert Sala and offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur are working with the youngest combination of offensive skill position players in the league. Furthermore, Starting quarterback Zach Wilson narrowly avoided disaster in week one of the preseason after an awkward non-contact knee injury left him with a bruised knee as opposed to ligament damage, bringing his week one status into question. Regardless of who is under center, the Jets clearly want to build their offense around the run, ranking in the bottom half of the league in 2021 in rush rate on early downs with the score within seven points, jumping all the way up to third in overall pass rate due to routinely being in negative game scripts. On the defensive side of the ball, the Jets will start the 2022 season with four new members of the secondary, mentioned above, and two new members of their base 4-3 front. Although I don't expect this team to struggle as much as they did last year, they still have a long way to go, particularly with so many new faces in town. The team spent two of their top four picks this offseason on the offensive side of the ball, selecting wide receiver Garrett Wilson, 10th overall, and running back Brees Hall, 36th overall. Hall should immediately step into the 1A role to Michael Carter's 1B, forming what should amount to a relatively tight split in workload distribution to begin the year. The revamped offensive line carries a lot of upside in both run blocking and pass protection, but is still a relatively young unit, meaning we could see them struggle to start the year. On the other side of the ball, the nine-year reign of nose tackle Brandon Williams appears to have come to an end, with the Ravens electing not to re-sign the defensive stalwart, leaving the primary run-stopping duties in Michael Pierce's capable hands. Interestingly enough, Pierce has ranked as the second-best nose tackle in the league over the previous three seasons, second only to departing incumbent Brandon Williams. Talk about an embarrassment of riches, eh? Either way, the matchup is not a good one for the Jets on the ground. Primary pass-catching duties for the Jets fall onto the second-year wide receiver Elijah Moore. Rookie wide receiver Garrett Wilson, 2021 free agent signing Corey Davis, the aforementioned running backs, and two journeyman tight ends in C.J. Ozoma and Tyler Conklin. New York ran a perfectly average 61% 11 personnel rate in 2021, which we're likely to see carry forward under the same regime. That should leave Moore and Davis as the only near-every-down pass catchers, with Wilson, Braxton Berrios, the tight ends, and the running backs all likely filtering through the rest of the available snaps. We shouldn't expect the overall offensive game plan to change regardless of who is under the center for the Jets, but there is a legitimate case to be made that the efficiency might actually see a boost with Flacco when compared to the inefficient Wilson. The last thing to mention is the rate at which Flacco targeted Elijah Moore last season, although the sample size was extremely small. As for the Baltimore secondary, all of Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, Kyle Fuller, Chuck Clark, and Marcus Williams are healthy entering the season, which should comprise one of the top secondaries in the league this year. Likeliest Game Flow 
The Ravens are the far superior team in every aspect heading into this contest, and can likely control the game through their defense and whichever way they choose to attack on offense. But the big question is exactly that. How will they choose to attack on offense? With the massive amount of turnover the Jets have in the secondary, the newer coaching regime, a second-year staff including head coach Robert Sala and defensive coordinator Jeff Ulbrich fresh off allowing 397.6 total yards of offense per game in 2021, the most in the league, and a team potentially starting its backup quarterback, it is fair to expect New York to start the season slow on both sides of the ball. Put all that together, and we're left with a situation of not only who benefits most from the likeliest game flow, but who would benefit the most, depending on how the Ravens choose to try and win this game with the uncertainty surrounding their backfield. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Jaguars at the Commanders kick off Sunday, September 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 43.5. Game Overview by Pappy This game could have a faster pace than people anticipate. Jahan Dodson is mispriced for his role. Christian Kirk is mispriced for his role. Both defenses have weak secondaries. How Washington will try to win Last year, the Commanders played slow, 20th situation neutral pace. But it's hard to know how much of that was due to inconsistent QB play. Would you be thrilled about the idea of giving more plays to Taylor Heineke? This year, the Commanders brought in Carlson, am I an upgrade, Wentz. Wentz should, strongly stressing should, be an upgrade. But there is a reason he has struggled to find a consistent home over the past few seasons. Rivera wants to be aggressive, with a competent offensive line, ranked 12th by Sharp Football, and a better QB, there is a real chance the Commanders play faster than they did last year. The Jags were a sieve on defense last season. They were dastardly bad, 31st in DVOA, against the pass, and almost equally soft, 19th DVOA, on the ground. The Jags lost Miles Jack, but added some help in free agency and used three of their first four draft picks on defense. This unit could improve as the season progresses, but should still be a liability. Sharp football ranks poorly both their front seven, 22nd, and secondary, 27th. The Jags' profile is a team that can be attacked through the air or on the ground. With the tragic shooting of Brian Robinson during a carjacking and the coaching staff's obvious displeasure with Antonio Gibson, the Commanders could skew pass heavy week one against one of the worst secondaries in the league. How Jacksonville will try to win. The Urban Meyer Jags were an unmitigated disaster. A pass must be given on their performance last year to constructively discuss their range of outcomes for 2022. One nice thing about the Jags last year was that they played fast, third in total pace, but that was greatly influenced by always being behind, 19th situation neutral pace. If that trend holds, it shows the Jaguars will try and strike back when they are behind, something they are more equipped to do this year based on their roster additions. There is also a chance the Jaguars play fast in all situations if you believe coach speak, as the new head coach Doug Peterson has been talking about being aggressive. The Commanders were strong, 7th in DVOA against the run, but a sinking ship, 28th in DVOA against the pass, presented one of the clearest pass funnels in the league last season. 
The front seven, 10th ranked by Sharp, remains a strength, and the secondary, 17th ranked by Sharp, is still this unit's weak spot. Sharp's preseason ranking even feels a little high since there were no appreciable upgrades to the commander's secondary in the offseason. Peterson should be able to figure out that his best chance is passing rather than running into the teeth of the commander's front seven. Likeliest Game Flow this game is sporting one of the lower totals of the week at 44. It is expected to be a futile struggle between two poor offenses. The most likely game flow is that both teams struggle to find their footing, and we end up with a game featuring many punts. This game flow would have both teams running inefficient plays, allowing a close game to play out that finishes without fireworks. Tributaries you could make the case that all opening weekend games have a tributary game flow since acting like we are certain about anything is a poor way to approach DFS Week 1. This game has a rather interesting tributary based around the idea that both sides come out firing. A pass-leaning approach would make sense for both coaches. Couple that with the idea that the commanders could speed up with Wentz and there might be more to this game than meets the eye. There is a chance both coaches want to pass and will be successful doing so in a game where most, if not all, players will come with low ownership. Those are the ingredients for fantasy fortune. The Giants at the Titans. Kickoff Sunday, September 11th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern, with an over-under of 43.5. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86 A battle of teams who will likely play conservatively, although for different reasons. Tennessee's identity, run and defend, will be tested this season due to offensive line and defensive personnel issues. New York will likely bring a lot of pressure, making things difficult for a Titans receiving core devoid of separators. By far the biggest X-factor in this game will be how aggressive head coach Brian DeBall decides to be in his first real game with Daniel Jones under center. How New York will try to win a new sheriff is in town for the Giants, with Brian DeBull entering his first season as an NFL head coach. DeBull was a hot commodity on the NFL coaching scene this offseason, as teams battled for his services and he had quite a few options. The fact that he chose the Giants is encouraging for their short and long-term offensive outlook. The Giants have several very talented pieces on their roster, and DeBull designed the NFL's most prolific offenses for the Bills over the last several years. Looking to this year, we can be cautiously optimistic about this team as DeBull's scheme seems to fit the personnel already in place. A spread-style offensive scheme should play to the strengths of QB Daniel Jones and the rest of the skilled players and give them a chance to play a much more fun, up-tempo style than we've seen from the Giants in years past. This is a team who ran a QB sneak on 3rd and 8 from their own 5-yard line last season. The Giants have multiple wide receivers— Kadarius Toney and Wandale Robinson, who are very good at creating separation and gaining yards after the catch, along with a finally healthy Saquon Barkley. Jones has struggled with accuracy and consistency through his NFL career, but should benefit from a scheme that allows him to see things better and gives him a greater margin for error due to fewer tight window throws. New York's approach to this game will be interesting to see against a Tennessee defense that ranked second in the league in 2021 in yards per carry allowed and just lost their 2021 sack leader Harold Landry for the season. The Titans also finished in the bottom five in the NFL in 2021 in blitz percentage, indicating their preference to sit back and play coverage. 
On paper, this sets up as a game for the Giants to spread the field and use a pass-heavy game plan to get the ball to their playmakers in space with short area work, scheming them open and looking for holes in coverage to sit down and create yards after the catch. The Titans will likely maintain what worked for them last year, trusting their front to create pressure from the interior and sitting back in coverage waiting for the Giants to get too aggressive or Jones to make mistakes. How Tennessee Will Try to Win The Titans are coming off a 2021 season in which they overcame a lot of adversity throughout the season to become the number one seed in the AFC, then got fully healthy heading into the playoffs, and promptly lost their opening game at home to the Bengals. Expectations are high in the building and around the team, but their schedule sets up to be much more difficult, and they have a lot of holes on their team for a team that had so much success the year before. In my opinion, they are clearly the most likely team to take a big step back in 2022. What the Titans do have working for them is all-world running back Derrick Henry entering the season at full strength after a foot injury derailed him on his way to a monster 2021 season. The Titans build everything they do around Henry and play off of him with play action, misdirection, bootlegs, and occasional shot plays. The importance of the return of Henry can't be understated for this team, yet also there may be some holes in their plan. The first issue for them would be the weakness of their offensive line, which is on a downturn and probably the weakest unit they've had in the tenure of head coach Mike Vrabel. The other issue is their lack of other playmakers at the skilled positions. They drafted Traylon Burks in the first round of the NFL draft in April, and while he is a physical specimen, he has underwhelmed in camp and has a long way to go from a technical standpoint as a wide receiver. Last season's Giants ranked 29th in rush defense DVOA by Football Outsiders and 25th in yards per carry allowed. They made some definite improvements in the offseason, but this is still far from an imposing unit. Tennessee will undoubtedly be leaning into their identity to start the season, and we should see a game plan built around their running game and manufactured misdirection of plays that play off the defense's attention to Henry. Even in 2021, with Henry missing half of the season, the Titans still ranked bottom three in the league in situation-neutral pass rate. Now that A.J. Brown is gone and Henry is back, the Titans should be running until the Giants prove they can stop them. Likeliest Game Flow this game has a lot of fun names in it and some intrigue due to the arrival of DeBall's offense in New York. Unfortunately, the game flow is likely to disappoint. Neither team is likely to be overly aggressive, and both teams have significant hurdles to offensive success. The Giants will struggle to generate big plays due to the conservative nature of the Titans' defense and their own desire to keep Daniel Jones from having to push the envelope too much. The Titans are going to pound the ball on the ground due to their identity and matchup. The Giants also have a new defensive coordinator, Don Martindale, who was previously the defensive coordinator with the Ravens, where his teams were routinely top five in the league in pressure and blitz rate. The Titans are likely to have some success on the ground, but their offensive line issues should keep them from dominating in that area. And with the Giants bringing so much pressure and the Titans' lack of weapons, it will likely cause issues for them to move through the air. Putting it together, we have a recipe for both teams struggling to move the ball and the clock moving quickly, with very few paths to a high-scoring affair outside of multiple Derrick Henry long TD runs or a Daniel Jones implosion. The Chiefs at the Cardinals kick off Sunday, September 11th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern, with an over-under of 53.5. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86 this is an exciting matchup of teams that plays at a fast pace, 
but both teams have a lot of changes on offense to start the year. The strengths of both offenses match up well with the path of least resistance provided by their opponents. The Cardinals' preference to blitz at a high rate could be attacked and exploited by Patrick Mahomes in this game. This game not only deserves the highest total on the slate, it also has the greatest chance to drastically surpass those expectations due to a variety of matchup factors. How Kansas City will try to win. The Chiefs enter the 2022 season on a run of four consecutive years, making it to the AFC Championship game or Super Bowl. Last year ended for them when they fell apart and gave a game away at home to the Bengals, losing in overtime one week shy of the Super Bowl. As they look to make a fifth consecutive deep run into the playoffs, their division has become arguably the most difficult in football, and they lost a key piece of their historically good offense. The biggest change for this year will be the offense's loss of all-pro wide receiver Tyreek Hill. Hill was used in a dynamic role all over the field and targeted in the short, intermediate, and deep areas of the field as a movable chess piece that defenses had to account for. The Chiefs will not try to replace the Hill role in their offense with just one player. Rather, Andy Reid will have a somewhat redesigned offense built around the strengths of the players they do have. By all camp accounts, newcomer Juju Smith-Schuster will operate as the de facto wide receiver one this season, meaning he will have the highest snap count and be the most targeted of the group. As stated earlier, it won't be a straight one-for-one replacement for Hill as Juju has a different skill set and doesn't match Hill's straight-line speed. He will likely be used on a lot of the shorter and intermediate routes and used interchangeably with Travis Kelsey as they take turns attacking the seams and in-breaking routes. Marquez Valdez-Scantling was also brought in and will be the number two while being used often as a vertical field stretcher on the perimeter. Finally, McCole Hardman maintains his role as the third receiver of the group and will be used on gadget plays and manufactured touches with some deep shots of his own mixed in. As for how this game plays out on this side of the ball, it will be very interesting to see how Arizona approaches the game philosophically. In last year's playoff loss to the Rams, the Cardinals blitzed on 50% of Stafford's dropbacks, despite Stafford having the best season of all NFL QBs against the Blitz, and he tore them apart. Mahomes has similarly been much better against the Blitz than when facing four or fewer rushers during his career, while Arizona ranked fourth in the league in Blitz rate last season. Complicating matters even more for the Cardinals' defense will be the fact that they lost Chandler Jones, who was second on the team with 10.5 sacks last year, and linebacker Jordan Hicks, who was second on the team in tackles. There was a portion of last season where the Chiefs' offense struggled as defenses had supposedly figured them out and began dropping back into cover two and cover three shell coverages while bringing less pressure. Eventually, the Chiefs adjusted their approach and took the easier underneath openings that defenses were giving them and got back on track, but we can unequivocally say that this defensive approach has shown much greater promise against the Chiefs' offense. Meanwhile, the Chiefs have continuity and talent on one of the top offensive lines in the league, while the Cardinals may have one of the least talented defensive fronts at this point. The Chiefs won't completely abandon the run by any means, but they have an all-world QB playing behind an elite offensive line and have been one of the highest pass rate over expectation, PROE, teams in the league since Mahomes took over, so it is safe to say they should be relatively pass-heavy. 
The Cardinals already have a philosophy of bringing pressure through the blitz and are at a heavy disadvantage up front, making it likely they will stay true to themselves here and are aggressive against a team that will have to prove that they are the exact same explosive team without Tyreek Hill. This could line up for a game of fireworks for the Chiefs' offense, as Mahomes will get single coverage and open spaces to throw his receivers open. How Arizona Will Try to Win The Cardinals have played at a very fast pace since Cliff Kingsbury took over as their head coach, ranking near the top of the league in situation-neutral pace of play every season. Interestingly, they actually run the ball at a higher-than-league average rate as well. They have also been referred to as the horizontal raid offense due to the lack of attacking downfield passing they have shown in Kingsbury's air raid offense over the years. While they added Marquise Brown's elite speed to the mix this year, they also lost last year's best deep threat, Christian Kirk. The status of second-year wide receiver Rondale Moore is in doubt for the season opener, and all-pro wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins is serving a six-game suspension. All of these factors make it likely that the Cardinals are unable to really open things up from what we've seen in the past. Arizona is almost certainly going to be the team we've consistently seen over the last couple of years due to continuity in the coaching staff and at quarterback. While we may see more deep shots to Marquise Brown than the Cardinals have taken in recent years, they are still likely to be more horizontally focused through the air. The Chiefs have a defense built to stop the pass and is far more vulnerable on the ground, giving up 4.8 yards per carry last season according to Pro Football Reference, which ranked second to last among NFL defenses. We should expect the Cardinals to play fast, spread the defense with personnel, and repeatedly attack the interior of the Chiefs' defense on the ground and through the use of screens, jet sweeps, and misdirection, with the occasional deep shot or explosive play to keep the Chiefs from creeping too close to the line. Likeliest Game Flow This game has the highest over-under of the week, which should come as no surprise since both teams ranked in the top seven in the league last year in situation-neutral pace of play, while also ranking top six in passing offense DVOA by football outsiders. The defenses are adequate, but provide nothing that should cause either team to be fearful or timid, and also provide their path of least resistance in the area that each offense prefers to attack. While these teams both play at a fast pace, the Chiefs throw significantly more than the Cardinals and have more weapons on the offensive side of the ball and an apparent advantage at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. This makes it likely that the Chiefs control this game and are the team most likely to break things open and build a lead that sends this game into overdrive. The Cardinals' blitz rate and Mahomes' arm talent should lead to a lot of opportunities for big plays from the Chiefs, giving this game extreme shootout potential. The Cardinals should be able to move the ball at a decent rate and have offensive success as well, but their lack of playmakers relative to the Chiefs and higher likelihood of struggles in the red zone gives the Chiefs the distinct tactical advantage in this matchup. There are many times where, in a matchup like this, the team who leans heavier on the run can serve to slow a game down, but that should not be the case here due to the pace with which the Cardinals play. Enjoying the game breakdowns? Go to OneWeekSeason.com and become a subscriber to gain access to in-depth analysis, strategy interpretations, and more to help you bring your daily fantasy football game to the next level. The Raiders at the Chargers kick off Sunday, September 11th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 52.0. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86 
an exciting Week 1 rematch of last year's Week 18 win-and-you're-in game these two played. The new coaching staff and personnel for the Raiders lead to uncertainty about how they will approach this game. Continuity for the Chargers gives us a good idea of what they will do and how they will try to do it. The tempo and aggressiveness through the air of the Chargers are likely to be the catalyst that gets this game to the levels its game total would lead you to expect. How Las Vegas will try to win. This year's Raiders team has a lot of interesting dynamics to consider and evaluate entering the season and as the season plays out. After a season in which they overcame a ton of adversity and made the playoffs, they now have a new coaching staff and front office. They also made a splash with the acquisition of Devontae Adams to raise their offensive personnel from average to very good seemingly overnight. The Raiders also committed to Derek Carr with a three-year, $121 million contract extension in April, locking up that duo for the foreseeable future. Change can be a good thing, but there are also often some bumps along the way. One of the bigger questions heading into this season for this team is how the new staff and front office will handle players brought in by the previous regime. Josh Jacobs appears to be on the hot seat as the de facto starting running back, and the team cut 2021 first-round draft pick offensive tackle Alex Leatherwood in August. Heading into the season, we can look at Josh McDaniel's history and background to guide us in what we expect from the Raiders. The biggest thing to keep in mind is that McDaniels has a background with the Patriots, and their main objective is to play their personnel and create their offense around the strength of their players. This is where things really get interesting. The Raiders clearly have a strength in their passing game, with Adams, Darren Waller, and Hunter Renfro creating a passing attack with multiple weapons whose strengths should seemingly complement each other well. However, the Raiders' offensive line is one that has weaknesses in pass protection and personnel that seem better suited to succeed in the running game than in protection. For this specific game, the Raiders could have some issues on their hands when they try to throw the ball, mainly the dynamic pass rush that the Chargers present that has been bolstered by the addition of Khalil Mack this offseason. The threat of the Chargers' pass rush overwhelming the Raiders' line, as well as the presence of all-pro safety Derwin James leading a strong secondary, should make for trouble for Carr and the passing attack. The Chargers ranked near the bottom of the league in nearly every statistical category last season against the run. Given the issues they will have in pass protection, the strengths of their offensive line lying in run blocking, the Chargers' clear path of least resistance on the ground, and the desire to keep Justin Herbert off the field, it is safe to say the Raiders will have a balanced to run heavy attack to start this season opening matchup. Adams, Waller, and Renfro are all very technically sound route runners and can win in short areas of the field, making it likely that the Raiders will have an offense designed for quick-hitting passes when they do take to the air and will use a heavy dose of play-action passing to keep the Chargers' pass rush honest. How the Chargers will try to win The 2021 season saw the Chargers' offense reach new heights as they threw the ball at the fifth highest rate in the league and operated at the league's sixth fastest situation neutral pace of play. Brandon Staley had an interesting first year as their head coach, but his philosophy of leaning heavily on superstar QB Justin Herbert and turning up the tempo was a great move that led the Chargers to a great offensive success. They have weapons all over the field and a dynamic young QB who could just be scratching the surface of his potential. 
The Chargers enter this game in a matchup with a team that was much stronger against the run than the pass last season, and who they had a great deal of offensive success against last season. The biggest weakness this loaded Chargers offense has would be their lack of downfield speed. Mike Williams is a great contested catch player, and Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler are great at creating separation and yards after the catch in short areas, but there isn't a true burner on the team who can take the top off of the defense. The Chargers offensive line is, on paper, one of the best in the league, and we should expect them to keep Herbert upright and clean most of the game. I would expect the Chargers to be very aggressive in this game from the outset, looking to set the tone and build a lead that would let their ferocious pass rush tee off against an overmatched Raiders offensive line. Everyone is healthy to start the season, and I would expect a balanced attack from the Chargers with them attacking through the air to all levels of the field. That is not to say that the Chargers will abandon the run completely, as they are facing a unit that was PFF's 26th graded rush defense in 2021, and a healthy dose of Austin Eckler is never a bad thing. However, the lack of a clear, trusted second option in the backfield, as evidenced by camp reports and preseason usage slash performance, and the team's desire to keep Eckler's workload in check for the sake of his long-term health can give us even more certainty that they will stay pass-heavy and aggressive. Likeliest Game Flow This game has a lot of potential due to the weapons on both sides of the ball, but we should temper our expectations somewhat, especially early in the game, due to the funnel effect the Chargers' defense can have and the lack of field-stretching speed the Chargers' offense has, which may make quick-hitting touchdown drives hard to come by. Both teams should be able to move the ball, but those drives may stall out and lead to field goals or short field punts that keep the game from truly turning up in the first half. The likeliest game flow is clearly for a close game early, with the Chargers having the best chance of turning things up by building a lead with aggressive play calling and a couple of missed assignments by a team with a new scheme and coaching staff, which often leads to miscommunication and mistakes early in a season. Even in that scenario, we should expect this to be a fun and exciting game, with things getting interesting and the potential for second-half fireworks from two teams with high expectations and a plethora of weapons. The Packers at the Vikings kick off Sunday, September 11th at 4.25 p.m. Eastern with an over-under of 48. Game Overview by M. Johnson 86 both offenses will have new looks to them as the Packers adjust to life without Devontae Adams and the Vikings implement a new, more aggressive scheme. A battle of wills, with the Vikings forging a new, aggressive mentality, while the Packers continue to bleed the clock and slow games down. Both defenses should be more vulnerable on the ground, which plays into the philosophy of the Packers' offense at this time perfectly. We should expect a very competitive game throughout, with the potential for a low-scoring battle, but a specific scenario which could turn this into the game of the week. How Minnesota will try to win After an eight-year stint of mostly successful and competitive football with Mike Zimmer as their head coach, the Vikings let him go at the conclusion of the 2021 season as they try to get over the hump of disappointing finishes. Their new coach is 36-year-old Kevin O'Connell, the man who was the offensive coordinator for the Super Bowl champion L.A. Rams last season. O'Connell joins a growing list of young, offensive-minded coaches that are sweeping the league, and his arrival brings with it a lot of excitement about what the Vikings and their elite personnel can do with an aggressive coach of his nature. 
rather than the defense and ball control mindset that Zimmer imposed on the organization. The Vikings did not play their starters this preseason, and as always, preseason play calling and schemes are pretty vanilla, so it's hard to point to specific things on film or in box scores to define their approach. However, from training camp reports, beat writers, O'Connell's history, and the Vikings personnel, we can paint a pretty clear picture of what to expect this season. First of all, Justin Jefferson appears primed for the Cooper Cup role, which is not just a wide receiver, but rather an offensive centerpiece that is schemed around and found ways to force the ball to. Videos from camp and reports from beat writers showed Jefferson running routes from the backfield and being used in a variety of creative ways to get him the ball downfield, with advantageous matchups and in scoring zones. Next, we look in the backfield. Dalvin Cook is still one of the most talented backs in the league, and O'Connell comes from a Ram system that has historically relied on one bell cow running back to carry the load, only occasionally spelling for breaks. This philosophy is very similar to what we've seen from the Vikings in recent years, with the caveat being that Cook has been rumored to be used in more creative ways, including even being split out wide on occasion. That should open the door for Cook to get the ball in space more often, and for elite backup running back Alexander Madison to be on the field with Cook. From a pace of play perspective, the Vikings ranked a middling 17th in the league in situation-neutral pace of play in 2021 while the Rams played at a blistering pace to rank fourth in the same category. The Rams also ranked fourth in the league in average depth of target and called pass plays at a higher situation-neutral rate than the Vikings last season. Putting that all together, we can expect a much more aggressive and fast-paced offense, specifically early in games where the Vikings were previously very conservative and usually had to be pulled out of their shell by game script, than we have seen from the Vikings in recent years. We can also expect a large portion of their offense to funnel through their two all-pro skill players, albeit in a variety of creative ways. It is worth noting that the Green Bay defense faced O'Connell's Rams last season at Lambeau in November, a game in which the Packers controlled most of the way and won 36-28. It should be noted, however, that the game was played outdoors in the cold Wisconsin weather late in the season. This game will be played in good conditions at home early in the season before injury issues become prevalent. The biggest obstacle for this new-look Minnesota offense in its debut will be a ferocious Green Bay defense that performed well last season and has now added more firepower through the draft, free agency, and the return of some key players from injury. The Vikings have at best a middle-of-the-pack offensive line, while the Packers have a pair of high-end edge runners in Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith, along with all-pro DT Kenny Clark, who routinely collapses pockets from the interior. This, along with a loaded secondary led by the return of Jair Alexander, the highest-paid cornerback in the NFL, makes the Packers' defense anything but a cakewalk, particularly through the air. The Packers' run defense ranked 28th in Football Outsiders' DVOA metric last year and was clearly the easier way to attack this defense. We should expect the Vikings to exploit this area when possible, but not to shrivel up as they would in the past when trying to establish the run. I would expect, in this Week 1 matchup with a division rival at home, that the Vikings will look to find ways to be aggressive and send a message that things are changing. While running may be the easiest path, 
This is a matchup of strength on strength as the Vikings offense is now primed to attack rather than be pulled along for the ride. Sometimes teams will abandon ship on their philosophies as the season drags along, but at full strength in a high leverage game in front of their home crowd, I would expect O'Connell to have an attacking mindset. How Green Bay Will Try to Win Obviously, the biggest news on the Green Bay side of the ball is the loss of Devontae Adams. Similar to the role Jefferson will now fill for the Vikings, Adams was not just a wide receiver for the Packers, but rather an offensive centerpiece for which game plans and schemes were built around. Replacing him will not be an easy feat and will require some retooling of the whole offense. In terms of physical profile, recent performance, and trust with Rodgers, Alan Lazard is the new wide receiver one for the Packers, although he is unlikely to have anything close to the full Adams role. The Packers also boast one of the best running back duos in the league, with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, making it likely that they lean into this strength, especially early in the season while adjusting to new roles and receivers in the passing game. Up front, both the Packers' offense and the Vikings' defense have middle-of-the-pack units entering this season. The Vikings were a bit of a run-funnel defense last year at times, although their defense was often bad in all areas, as they finished the season ranked bottom 10 in the league in both yards allowed per carry and yards allowed per pass attempt. The Vikings then went and used both their first and second round picks on defensive backs, while also adding former Green Bay edge rusher Zadarius Smith, who missed all but one game last year due to injury, in free agency. The cocktail of adjustment for the Green Bay offense, strength of the Green Bay running game, and a clear on-paper path of least resistance on the ground through the Minnesota defense should allow the Packers to lean heavily on their running game and trust Aaron Rodgers to make plays when needed. A team with the back-to-back MVP under center is certainly never going to be trying to hide their quarterback. But in this particular instance, we should expect a conservative game plan and play calling based on what we know about this team and this matchup. Likeliest Game Flow As noted earlier, the Vikings will likely be trying to push the tempo and find chunk plays to build a lead in this game. Doing so would force Rodgers to become more aggressive and rely on a receiving core that has potential, but certainly will need time to get on the same page in real games this season. Unfortunately for the Vikings, that outcome feels like a bit of a long shot due to the strength of the Green Bay defense and the likelihood that the Packers, who ranked second to last in situation neutral pace in 2021, while also losing one of the top skill players in the game, will do everything they can to slow this game down significantly. The most likely outcome is that both offenses are able to move the ball at times, but struggle to manufacture big plays or finish off drives due to matchup, Vikings, or lack of explosive weapons, Packers. This game should stay low scoring relative to what most would expect from two high-profile offenses, and close throughout halftime, with a high likelihood of a game that is within one score the entire way. As the game drags on and possessions build up, the likelihood of one team breaking some big plays or pulling away a bit increases, and the explosive personnel on both sides forces us to consider that it could happen earlier in the game. If the Packers were to build an early lead, the approaches of both teams would only accentuate Packers slow down and lean on the run even more, while the Vikings stay aggressive and increase their pass rate. 
Meanwhile, if the Vikings were able to spark this game by jumping out to a lead, that is where this game could really get going, as O'Connell is not one to sit on a lead, which would force Rodgers and the Packers offense to come out of their shell.